0: Welcome to the Brown County Hour.
1: Coming to you from
2: the legendary Hills of Brown. Where are the plum purple haze.
0: The
3: one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers.
2: Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
4: It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana.
2: Sit for a spell and hear the music.
4: Tall tales.
2: True stories
4: and current goings-on.
2: Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter.
0: And swim buck naked in summer.
2: Welcome to episode 74 of the Brown County Hour. This is vera
0: Grubbs and Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guest is our very own Carrie Ray. She and her band, The Shaky Legs, have just released their new CD, Bad and Better Angels. We listen to her interview and a selection of tunes from the CD.
2: Jeff Tryon shares his essay on cemeteries. Jim Eagleman and Ann Connors have a discussion about the Sycamore Land Trust and Dave Seastrom shares his thoughts about spring.
0: Tim Grimm adds his story to our This Old Guitar series. Jim Eagleman will talk about spring hikes, and Rick Feddick shares his perspective on intense, which has nothing to do with camping.
5: Our first segment begins with Carrie Ray's interview. Jeff Tryon has a piece about cemeteries And we'll close with Carrie Ray's tune, Bad and Better Angels.
0: pleasure to introduce Carrie Ray, who actually doesn't need any introduction because she's part of the show. That's right. Not, not this
1: month, I guess, well, on the she,
0: other side of the... She's wearing her artist hat this evening That's right. um, because she's got a new CD out called Bad and Better Angels, which is set to be released officially on the 27th of April. Well, uh, Carrie, tell us about this new CD.
1: So this is the fourth studio full-length studio project that I've done. And um, it's a little bit of a departure uh, from the things that I've done in the past. Um, And I think that's partially because, um, well, for one, since I made the last record, I picked up playing fingerstyle guitar, so that's a new thing that I didn't do before that's really made its way uh, into my songs and my writing. And um, I think the other thing is that in some ways my... My style and kind of performance has deconstructed itself a little over time. And part of that is, I think, what fans respond to, kind of something that's a little more stripped down, a little more intimate. And that's sort of what we do live, whether we're performing as a duo, a trio, or with the full band. And the idea was to try to replicate that vibe on a record. Uh, The projects that have been done in the past were full on, you know, pull out all the stops, overdubs, other instruments, you know, adding a lot of things. And and the approach here was, I think, not about what more we could add, but what we could take away and let the let the songs and the performance of the songs kind of take center stage.
0: So a little more of a live feel then.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, your band is the Shaky Legs. That's right. Mm-hmm. We're
1: Carrie Ray and the Shaky Legs.
0: Carrie right. Ray and the Shaky Legs. Up. So who, whose legs are shaking in this band? Well,
1: mm-hmm. what I like to say is uh, hopefully everybody's by the time we're done, <laughs> right? That's kind of the idea. Yeah,
0: right. Get the whole room shaking. Get, get them all going. Yeah. That's right. A whole lot of shaking That's
1: going That's right. Out. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, I'll ask the question a different way. So uh, who comprises the shaky the legs? The shaky
1: legs. So I'm, I'm the Carrie Ray part. That's probably right, pretty right. obvious. Mm-hmm. The shaky legs would be, depending on how we're performing, um, it's our own Chuck Wills right. on lead guitar. It's uh, Dion Ward on backing vocals and percussion. And Jeff Farber on bass. That's our configuration. And, and uh, Chuck and Jeff also do some backing vocals, too, but Dion, you know, carries the main weight All of right. doing the background vocals as well.
0: Well, her, her voice blends beautifully with yours. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and this record, so there's a, there's a mix of things. Um, it was produced by, it's a very Brown County record. You know, Chuck obviously is playing on it, and, uh, and uh, Rev Payton produced so uh, oh. he's produced the record, which he was the he was the right guy. I felt like, especially given that I wanted to do something stripped down, but not something that sounded thin or small. And you know, he's practically besides his amazing guitar playing, he's kind of hung his hat on being able to make a small configuration sound big.
0: Well, and, right, as, right, as to the name of his band, exactly.
1: So mean... so I thought he was probably the right the right guy. So he also plays on a couple of the tunes, and then. Um, On one particular track, uh, John Boyer of The Hammer and the Hatchet uh, came in to play mandolin, just Mm. to offer kind of a different flavor, a little something Mm. special.
0: Uh, Continuing the incestuous tradition of local musicians. That's
1: right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I just, I love the way John plays mandolin because he doesn't, he can definitely play it traditionally, but when left to his own devices just to kind of do what he feels, it's, it's just a little off the beaten path the way he approaches playing and, uh... I think that's about his musical background. So I I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, Chuck, too, he he plays kind of a mix from some more gritty kind of slide stuff to uh, one of the things that I think Chuck is particularly skilled at um, is having a real sensitivity to like nuance and playing what's in service to the song. I even mentioned that, I think, in the kind of production notes is... um, you know, this kind of sensitivity to playing these beautiful swells and things that create a, a kind of environment for the song to live in and for the lyrics to sit in. And so I'm just I'm really pleased about how it turned out. I'm a little nervous, to be honest. I, you know, uh, it it took a lot of discipline to not add more as we were making it, you know, to sit with it. And because when you get into the studio, when you've made three records that were full on full band production, you're not used to hearing that playback be as sparse as we wanted this to be. So part of the discipline was to not give in to that urge to add another this here and another that there and to to let it stand and let the songs kind of stand on their own.
0: Well, uh, it, it strikes me that this is uh part of the continuing evolution.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, which I you know, I think every record I've put out I say, well, this record sounds more like me to me than anything I've ever made. Well, I'll probably say that about the next record too. Or I hope well, I let's will. Hope right? So. That means I'm kind of in alignment with wherever the music's going. But I try to, and you know, I say this at um, at shows too. Before I play a song, I, as a songwriter, I try to be in service to whatever song comes to visit that feels like it wants to be written, and judge it later.
0: Yeah, fair That's enough. That's
1: kind of my thing. It's like.
0: You give these little babies life. You, that's right. You set them and then out. I'll
1: decide if they're my prettier kid or not. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> but I won't tell anybody. Back, back to the
0: sandbox <laughs> with this one, right? That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, um, uh, you know, it's been a a labor of love. There have been moments through the making of this record that have been extremely beautiful, like just amazing, and moments that have been a little excruciating here mm-hmm. and there as I. Try to find the discipline around it, or kind of drag through making decisions about what to have on it and what not, and and uh, but I I think that's like life, right? So right. it's a mirror for that.
0: Well, Carrie, I'm sure everyone is looking forward to hearing this. So, where was this recorded?
1: So, this was recorded at Primary Sound Studios uh, over in Bloomington, yeah. which formerly, if people are familiar with studios around here, formerly Farm Fresh Studios. Okay, it was. Um, uh, recorded and mixed by Jake Belzer, the owner there, and it was mastered by Paul Mayhern. So um, I'm I'm really excited about it. And I'm anxious to. Uh, I mean, we already have some preliminary feedback from some people that we've given it to, and um, uh, so far so good. I'm, I'm hoping that folks are gonna are gonna love it and kind of love the raw simplicity of it. That's what I love about it. So,
0: well, our radio audience is gonna get a treat then.
1: Well, hope so. Yeah. Hope so. so Thanks Car- for having Ca- me in,
0: Carrie. How can we get a hold of you?
1: So you can find me uh, on the web at cariray.com. That's spelled C-A-R-I-R-A-Y, and then of course on all the social media outlets. Not all of them, maybe, but you know, Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook and all those places as well. the The key is just to spell my name right. But usually, when yeah. people can't find me, they've just spelled my name wrong. So again, it's C-A-R-I. Ray. You type that in and there aren't that many of us in the world. So you'll probably find me somehow.
0: You know, I've written that word so many times. I now think the other spelling looks funny. So, Thanks. Me? I appreciate
1: that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank
0: you so much for coming in. This has been great.
1: Thanks for having me.
6: This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County, Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it. What we find there for our own. What we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. There have been so many times in Brown County's past when wonderful, priceless elements of our heritage have been destroyed or just allowed to disappear. Sometimes it's because of a lack of understanding of what these objects mean, their cultural value, and sometimes it's just plain old avarice and greed. Either way, those of us who love the history and heritage of Brown County need to be actively working in whatever small way we can to preserve these cultural landmarks when possible. The Peaceful Valley Heritage and Preservation Group has a committee, the Brown County Cemetery Preservation Society, that has been focusing its efforts on the rich historical heritage of Brown County's cemeteries. This group is telling us that we are really missing the boat as far as heritage goes if we don't do something to save these cemeteries that are 150 to 170 years old. It's not just a matter of physically preserving them, of putting gravestones upright and repairing broken ones. Someone needs to do some research and discover and preserve the stories that go with them. How many cemeteries are there in Brown County? Nobody knows. Hamblin Township alone has like 30 cemeteries, some very small like the Six Grave Richardson Cemetery where one of Brown County's earliest judges is buried. The group is working to bring up to date the extensive work of legendary Brown County genealogists Ken and Helen Reeves on cemeteries. Nothing has been done to bring that book up to date since they passed on. The cemetery committee meets each month on the second Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. and again at 4.15 p.m. at the History Center in Nashville. There's usually a notice in the newspaper. The public is welcome. I've always been interested in cemeteries. There was a large and very old cemetery behind the church where my family attended when I was a child and Along with various Easter egg hunts and Halloween adventures, my brothers and I were also indentured to mow the grass in the summer, which gives you a much more intimate connection to a cemetery. As fate would have it, I've ended up on the board that oversees that old cemetery these days, and being involved on the molecular level gives one pause to think about the whole subject of Brown County cemeteries with a keener eye. Most cemeteries are not self-sustaining. That is, They don't take in as much money as they require in maintenance. Most are cared for by volunteers, family members of the dearly departed. Many are abandoned altogether, except for the generosity of strangers. There are many small pioneer graveyards that have disappeared, been plowed under, or grown over. Many tiny lots of a few stones are left behind here and there, with no connection or idea of what these people's story was the gravestones themselves are fading away, being gradually worn away by time and weather. Already, back in the old part of the cemetery, I cannot make out the inscriptions I could read as a boy. I think there's still time to take tracings and thereby preserve the information on the headstone, but I have a feeling it needs to be done rather sooner than later. I've heard rumors there's been a sort of a real estate boom in local cemeteries, without a towner towners seeking less expensive births for their eternal rest out here in the countryside. Locals are concerned the spots may all get filled up before they get their opportunity. But let me assure you that one thing that you will have absolutely no control over is what is done with your mortal remains when you have shucked off this mortal coil. Even a cursory reading of history reveals that many a careful plan has been made and then gone quite awry for reasons unanticipated.
2: We pause for station identification
0: you are listening to the brown county hour on volunteer power community radio wfhb at 100.7 in brown county 91.3 and 98.1 in bloomington 106.3 at ellisville and online at wfhb.org
4: Segment two begins with Jim Eagleman and Ann Connors discussing the Sycamore Land Trust. Tim Grimm will share his This Old Guitar Story, and we'll hear Carrie Ray's tune, House Keys.
7: Hello once again, this is Jim Eagleman with Nature Ramblings, WFHB Radio. With me today is Ann Connors, uh, representing the Sycamore Land Trust. And good to have you with us. Thanks for coming.
5: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. It's always a pleasure to be in Nashville. We have a lot of Sycamore members here. We manage two free public nature preserves, and we provide environmental education lessons at Helmsburg Elementary and elsewhere. And we just invested $100,000 in the Brown County Community Foundation to fund a Sycamore Land Stewardship Endowment, so we are very much part of the Brown County community. Our mission is to preserve the beauty, health, and diversity of Southern Indiana's natural landscapes through strategic land conservation and environmental education. We were founded in 1990 by members of Sassafras, Audubon, and others, and I always want to mention we are not a political organization. We're not part of the government. We are an independent nonprofit that works with landowners who are interested in protecting open space. And also with those who support environmental education. We manage our properties for ecology and land use. We do not allow timbering on the properties that we own. We rather manage it by removing invasive plants, planting trees and other plants, and removing refuse so the land can be what it wants to be.
7: Sycamore Land Trust properties are in several counties, I understand.
5: We conserve over 26 counties in southern Indiana. It starts at Morgan County in the north and goes all the way down south to the Ohio River. And we protect over 9,500 acres and over 100 properties in 17 of those counties. Over 5,000 of those acres we own, and about 4,000 are owned by other people. They're privately owned, but Sycamore holds conservation easements on them, which means uh, development and other uses of the land that would be detrimental to conservation are restricted, and that's forever. Mm-hmm. And we all, we partner with lots of organizations and government agencies to protect land. We provided financial contributions and other expertise to protect an additional 10,000 acres in southern Indiana, and almost 80% of the properties that we protect are right here in Brown, Monroe, and adjacent counties. And here in Brown County... We have two free public nature preserves, the Laura Hare Nature Preserve at Downey Hill, which is about 600 acres, and it's right next to Yellowwood State Forest, and the 260-acre Trevlac Bluffs Nature Preserve.
7: Yeah. yeah, we've hiked them both, and and uh, like many of our listeners, they probably seen the signs as they drive mm-hmm. around. They go, oh, well, there's a new place to hike. Let's go there. That's how we found out about it, and there are nice trails, and it got me thinking, why does Sycamore have such nice preserves and who lays out these nice hiking trails
5: well we maintain them with staff volunteers and we are so lucky to partner with the tremendous Hoosier Hikers Council and here in Brown County over a hundred of their volunteers helped build the six mile trail at the Laura Hare Nature Preserve at Downey Hill it's just fabulous and they're helping us at other preserves too
7: that is a great place we've walked that and particularly now with great weather
5: yep One of the things that is key to our mission is connecting people to nature. It's not just preserving land and restoring it, um, pulling invasives, planting trees, et cetera. It's because we're passionate about educating young people and others about the need for conservation. And we believe that everyone of all ages and all abilities should be able to access nature and get the benefits. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know Scott Russell Sanders, wonderful writer and, and poet. And I love the way he says it. He says that people only take care of what they love, and they love only what they know. And he adds that when children have the opportunity to poke around in creeks and gaze up into the branches of big trees, watch eagles on a nest or glimpse a fox, they will develop a love of the greater-than-human world and want to protect it. And having the opportunity to explore land protected by sycamore and the company of adults who encourage them to pay attention and appreciate nature is vital for the emotional and physical health of children.
2: Oh,
7: great words. Um, Sycamore Land Trust is a great organization. How would you say, briefly, is it supported?
5: We really depend on people in the community to support us. When people ask, how do we decide what land to protect, we have a lot of things we're looking for. First of all, we're looking for important wildlife habitat and The whole goal is to continue to increase habitats, so increase our habitats as well as protect land that's next to, like Brown County State Forest or Yellowwood, to create larger and larger expanses of properties.
7: Segments of forests exist where a huge tract did Mm at one time, so the more Mm of these little parcels can be added to one by one— that's part of Sycamore's mission, isn't it? Right.
5: And that's why we raise money from, as I said, from individuals, corporations, and foundations. And we're really excited about the $100,000 we've invested in the Brown County Community Foundation for the land stewardship endowment. We have an environmental education endowment. We have an acquisition endowment. The idea being we earn income, investment income, which pays for operations, just like universities have endowments Mm -hmm. for chairs and things like that. So, we manage our, our organization like a business. We we stay in the black and not only try to pay for our operating costs every year, but also put money aside because all the land we protect, we have to protect forever.
7: And then, of course, the users of the future, the children that uh, we uh, consider vital for learning education. Environmental education is a very mm-hmm. important component of Sycamore, correct?
5: Right. And we're so excited. Helmsburg, for the last couple of years, we've worked really closely closely. With the teachers and the principal there, not only have we provided uh, lessons on native plants and animals, but also we built a beautiful native plant garden. And on, on Friday, May 26th, uh, they're going to be selling or providing some of the plants they grow at the Bean Blossom Market.
7: The Young Conservation Leaders of Tomorrow. Great yeah. news, great news. For more information or to sign up for an activity, go to their website, sycamorelandtrust.org, call them at 812. 812- Three three six five three eight two. Good to have you, Anne. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you.
3: Welcome to This Old Guitar, where we learn about the instruments that inspire local musicians and the stories behind them. In this episode, Tim Grimm joins us to sing his song 13 Years and tell us the true story of his dad, a lightning strike, a walnut tree, and a mastodon that all came together to produce his beautiful O.C. Bear acoustic guitar.
8: lightning strike back in 47 hit a walnut tree in Indiana in the middle of the field on the old home farm 13 years before I was born but my dad was there he was just a boy felt the thunder roll then the hell of a noise first the crack Then the creaking groan There's different ways for seeds to be sown Thirteen years before I was born He was in the barn all of eleven In the year of forty-seven It was five more years Till he'd get that car That old Model T that never went far Well the tree went down By the near sheep pen It tore the fence that the ewes are in so dad walked out with a saw and a wire and the mud and the rain and his pocket plier. And His pa said, boy, what'd you do today? And my dad said, Paul, I got caught in the rain but the cows are fed and got the eggs together. The big tree fell and there's wood together. It took him days to clear the limbs. He knew that job was all up to him. It was after school he'd split and stack didn't know then he'd get something back. Well he got her down to one mighty log. At that point he had to make a call. He dialed Bill Scarlett at the Auburn Mill and said, Got a log, can you help me, Bill? And they cut that log into many board feet and Dad shoveled sawdust for about a week, paid the bill, and the job was done 13 years before I was born. And those boards were stacked and stored in the barn until the year they sold the family farm and Dad counted the rings, 124. When it comes to me, I can just remember an old stack of boards, all dark and weathered, how they lay behind an old park car, that old Model T that never went far. We pumped the tires, and they held air. We pulled the T out, and the boards were there. We washed the car, and we brushed the boards, cut 13 years before I was born. And Dad said, let's move these boards. One more time, they're staying here in this new shed of mine. I said, Dad, can you spare me too? I did not tell him what I was going to do. Yeah, the big tree fell on my grandpa's farm. My dad saved the boards for what seemed so long, 13 years. those boards to a man named Bear near the Ohio River south of here and I told him the story about 13 years he shook my hand and said I'll give you my best I'll build a guitar that's not like the rest just look at that grain you can hear the tone from these walnut boards dark and long we'll make a way to sing your dad this song 13 years really nice alone did you ever stop and wonder at the sound 11 years old up in uh, DeKalb County. Uh, Auburn is the county seat, and he was the only one home that day that the biggest tree on the farm, black walnut, was hit by lightning. And uh, he told me that story years ago. And uh, I uh, realized when I wrote this about a year ago that I'd never written a song about my dad, and I felt it was overdue. And I went looking through scraps of paper and I found the notes about that that story he told me, and I was reminded because ever since I was a kid, and remember there have been these giant stacks of boards lying around, and um, the uh, the interesting thing, um, this guitar that I just played is is made out of those boards, um, but about two years after that tree was hit by lightning, uh, they were digging a, a drainage tile in one of the farm fields, and about couple hundred feet from where the tree went down uh, they hit something really hard with the backhoe and grandpa sent dad and one of his brothers out to uh, get some round point shovels and they started digging and within two days they had uncovered an entire mastodon skeleton out in that field what do you do with a mastodon skeleton well they called up one of the museums in chicago and they said no thank you we were just given a woolly mammoth Uh, in the last year, and we don't have room for Mastodon. So the Mastodon skeleton, complete Mastodon skeleton, went into the barn next to the boards, the walnut boards, and they stayed there for 50 years. And then when Grandpa's farm uh, was broken up, it all went into Dad's garage, and those two things sat side by side. And when we built the guitar, I thought, you know, I need a nut and a saddle on this guitar, usually it's made out of some kind of bone or hard plastic and there was one of the little pieces of the tusk broken off and i thought aha uh-huh, aha uh-huh. so this guitar has the mastodon tusk saddle and nut to go along with the walnut that they were within a few hundred feet of each other that is the story of the bear guitar
9: His ring today shoved away back in a drawer. Remembered what he'd said to me about what rings are for, they're for keeping things together. Used to be apart, less and more important things like house keys and like. What you know at 17 would barely fill a jar It's hard to mean forever You can't quite see that far They bought a little house It wasn't much but was a start Of a lifetime they'd spend Sharing things like house keys And life. On the day he went to heaven, I was standing by his bed. And when I asked him how they'd stayed in love for all those years, he said, There really is no secret, there really is no art. You just find the joy in sharing things like house keys and life. Somehow for 60 years and 19 days When they woke up in the dark They'd find their way But well, I ran across his ring today Shoved away back in a drawer Turned it over in my hand Thought about what They're for keeping things together it Used to be apart. part There's some more important things Like house keys And like hearts Sometimes the only way To make it through the hardest parts Is holding on to little things Like house like hearts.
2: now we pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. In our final segment,
3: Rick Fettig gives us his views about intents. Jim Eagleman will talk about seasonal hiking, and Dave Seastrom weighs in on springtime in hill country. We'll close the segment with Carrie Ray's tune, What Did You Do That For?
4: I got a lot on the plate here tonight, so you might want to sit down and take a listen. I'd like to talk about intent. No, not what the scouts sleep in, not in a tent, but intent. The purpose behind a thought or action. And I guess most actions are preceded by thoughts, so the intent of the heart directing one's thoughts. Is there evil or ill behind any particular thought? Or is there love and kindness motivating someone's thoughts? There is always the generic thought. Let's say you're driving. You're driving 62 and a 55, and you pass a cop on the side of the road. Do you panic? No. Because due to going up and down hills, around curves, and occasionally not paying attention, a driver's speed tends to fluctuate. That's why we're allowed a little room for error. One rarely gets a speeding ticket until the speed is 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Now if you're going 80 in a 55, you're probably doing this intentionally. Get it? You are intending to speed. Now, whether you're rushing to the hospital or showing off your new Mustang to Sally, this reveals the intent or heart behind your excessive speed. Here's a hot topic, guns. Why do we need them? Why do we want them? What do we do with them? Few people need to hunt anymore to provide food for their families. Some still do for sport. There's always marksmanship as a hobby, I know a couple of people who like to collect rare pieces and one that retired from being a licensed and legitimate gun dealer. There's also the military that uses weapons to secure our freedoms and protect our country, along with our local law enforcement. Unfortunately, there are and have been a few who intend to do harm with guns and weapons. Then suppose there is someone who has or has access to guns or weapons and only has innocent intent. Then, at some point, goes off their rocker. Perhaps it's revenge. Maybe depression takes them over the edge. Or perhaps access to drugs has become an obsession. And what if any one of these caused that person to change and to end up doing harm? How do we, as society, judge a person's intent? And how do we handle the action taken, be it ownership in general, hobby shooting, transfer of arms, or fatality. The intent is important. How about politics? What is the political system all about? Why would someone get involved? Say, mayor or governor, why would someone run for one of these positions? What might they intend to do if elected to one of these positions? Do they see themselves as a caregiver or caretaker? Perhaps they want to take care of the people in their own town or state. Perhaps they want to make sure the people have fresh water, good roads, good schools, and an opportunity to prosper. Or maybe they have friends in high places and want to help them prosper at the expense of the people. Sports enthusiasts, do they just want to beat others, or do they simply enjoy healthy competition? Again, it's the intent. When a person has flaws, Should we make fun of him and bully him? Or do we use helpful, constructive encouragement? On the job, are we critical of the new or unskilled worker? Or do we instruct them on proper technique or procedure? How about children? Do we lecture or do we teach? In business, is money your bottom line? Or is it the quality of merchandise and or the service you provide? Remember, we're talking about intent. A lot of things happen in our lives on a day-to-day basis. We have thousands of thoughts and decisions. We watch as others are making similar decisions. I saw a picture the other day of a rather young girl with her arms stretched out by her side. The caption said, why can't we all just get along? And I say, the earth, our friends and people we come in contact with, our endeavors, the heartfelt decisions we make daily, Why can't they all be of good intent?
2: This is Carol Marks, and this poem is called Blue Food. Don't eat that blue food. It ain't natural. It is brilliant and turquoise, and it is just pretend. There is no real blue food. Blue Kool-Aid does not count. Neither do blue bubble gum, M&M's, sweet tarts, or Gatorade. Blueberries are not blue. They are purple. Artificial food is not good for you. This includes non fat salad dressing, which tastes awful and, by the way, contains some of the same ingredients as antifreeze and shampoo, which are also sometimes blue.
7: From my association with people who visit our parks, I learned many things over the years. One thing is that with similar outdoor interests, often means that they enjoy similar activities. For example, most backpacker types I've met. I don't know why. They also like to grow organic foods. Canoeists and kayakers are great photographers. Dog lovers always talk to each other about their dogs. Fly fishermen and mountain bikers for some reason like to seek out local breweries. A lot of nature lovers also like to go to antique shops. All of them like wine, sunsets, camping, stores, and SUVs. I'm sure there are many more correlations one thing I've noticed all nature lovers have in common, they like to hike. And I like to read bumper stickers, too. Do you? I saw a bumper sticker once that said, hiked it, liked it. Bumper stickers can tell you a lot about the person in the car ahead of you. And the hiked it, liked it bumper sticker must have referred to the park the motorist had just visited. If you are a hiker, and like me, you are always looking for things along the way, on or off the trail, that cause you to stop, look, and think. What couldn't add more fun to the enjoyment when out? In my opinion, if you hiked a trail, most times you probably liked the trail, due in part, I would say, to the many things you might find along the trail. If you're a hiker who doesn't like to stop for things found along the way, then you aren't a hiker, you are an exercise-obsessed person, probably in stretch pants, who needs to throw away their watch. I say this since I've seen many race walkers, dog walkers, high school and university cross-country runners orienteering fans with maps and compasses, GPS users, runners, and, yes, seniors, using our park trails. The exercise revolution has come unleashed at the state and county parks and are recognized as safe and challenging places to accomplish the cardiovascular activities our doctors advise, and yet the parks don't have treadmills nor do they cost as much as a gym to enter or belong to, yet. I realize our trails will accommodate many users, since parks are many things to many people, but the squiggly lines on some park and all topographic maps that follow contours are listed as hiking trails, and like many visitors, I intend to use them for that. Hiking, to me, is the same as walking, but with a slight adjustment to pace, destination, and perhaps time out. I'm not usually carrying a backpack, since that happens under entirely different conditions. I may carry a light daypack, depending on snacks needed and route, and if it looks like rain. In my opinion, what you carry or wear, drink, draw, eat, photograph, or bring with you is not as important unless it helps you learn what you've found. What you found along the way, I've always thought, is a bonus. And like some happily-possessed nature detectives, as we say with children, If you don't take advantage, study the clues, piece together the mystery of what took place before you arrived, you miss it altogether. The whole thing, you miss it. Besides, I must ask, how can you open a luscious can of sardines, tomato sauce a favorite, bring out the crackers, cheese, chocolate, fruit, and water when the urge strikes unless you stop? You stop, pause, sit to munch, munch some more, clean the hands, then you hear. You hear, then you look, you look, then you guess, or wander, or concentrate on and watch further. Binoculars come in handy for this. Then at the end, you go one step further and look up online or in a field, guide the flower or scat or mushroom you saw, bringing to my mind nature to books, books back to nature, that a favorite phrase was muttered by a professor friend. Then you return with hopes to see more. You get the idea, you see the cycle. But there is a warning. Eating crackers while wearing binoculars around your neck always results in cracker crumbs caught in the eye cups. A slight sideways shake of the binoculars accompanied by a quick blow of the air will usually dislodge the crumbs. Make sure your mouth is empty before blowing. So like to hike? Get out and hike. It's a great spring coming on, and we may see you on the trails. Jim Eagleman, reporting for Nature News, WFHB-FM Radio, the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening.
0: Brown County is most famous for how beautiful the forest is in fall, and rightfully so. The hills are on fire with vivid colors of leaves and transition, and our long vistas provide spectacular views from the ridgetops. People flock here in droves to enjoy this seasonal treat, and they may be thinking that this is the pinnacle Brown County experience, as beautiful as it is here in the fall. I would propose that each of our four seasons have their own particular allure. As I look into the forest from my office window, I see a growing verdant haze as tiny leaves begin to form on the trees, and soon the view will be nothing but a sea of green. Before long, the spring ephemerals will blossom, and the forest will be filled with incredibly beautiful wildflowers. Here in Brown County, we have a full range of wildflowers that we only see in the spring. The trout lilies are up. These unmistakable little yellow flowers with their drooping heads grace the early spring forest and are among the first flowers to bring color to the landscape. The other day, I hiked into a stand of Virginia bluebells that were so prolific I was amazed by the numbers. Judging from the bluebells in our yard, this valley must be in full bloom right now, and I'm sure it's a sight to behold. As the season progresses, my favorite spring ephemeral makes its appearance. Lady slippers are a wild orchid that arrives in mid-season. The ones we have are yellow with a lovely pink throat, and beautiful little winding tendrils that frame the blossom on either side of the flower. Their leaves are deeply veined with gives them a distinctive look that no other wild plant quite matches. There are many other wild flowers that share the forest floor, like the jack-in-the-pulpit, the trilliums, and the marsh marigold, but some of my favorite flowers that I see during a spring hike aren't wild at all. They were brought here intentionally. The forested hills where we live were peppered with the homesteads of many families who lived here a hundred or more years ago. Today, their fields have returned to the forest and all of their log buildings that they built have melted into the earth. The only sign that these families lived and made their lives here are the flowers that the women planted. If you wander off the beaten path, you might be rewarded by the sight of daffodils and narcissus that were traded back and forth and lovingly planted in what was once the cottage garden of a pioneer woman. I have no doubt that many of these flowers are descended from bulbs that were brought here in covered wagons when the new families migrated into early Indiana. For many folks, spring means only one thing, mushrooms. The morel is the most famous and sought after, but there are many more varieties that those in the know enjoy hunting and eating. It's early for them, but one of my favorites are chanterelles. These delicious mushrooms make their appearance later in the season. A couple of summers ago, they appeared in such profusion, the forest floor looked like it was painted in distinctive orange-red. It only took a short walk to fill a bread sack, and soon the aroma of mushrooms frying in the pan filled the house with wonderful goodness that can only come from the wilds. Thinking of delicious spring foods, In my opinion, there's nothing better than a mess of fresh-caught bluegill with mushrooms fried in butter on the side. You won't find this treat in any of our local restaurants. This is a meal that must be earned or freely given by someone who did. We had a particularly long winter this year. It warmed up in February, and we were all lulled into the idea that spring was right around the corner. Even though we knew better, everyone wanted winter to be over, but it wasn't. Instead of a nice early spring, we had a continuing bouts of winter that included snowstorms well into the middle of April. All of that has changed, and now we're in the middle of spring in all of its glory. For those who are visiting our fair county, the temptation is to view the freshly greening forest from your automobile as you drive to Nashville. The more adventuresome may take a trip to the state park, both of these experiences are worth a drive from the big city, but if you really wanna see something special, I recommend that you get off the beaten path and hike into one of our undisturbed state forests and see for yourself what spring looks like in the wild. It will definitely be worth your while. It's absolutely lovely in the forest right now. Without putting too fine a point on it, I wouldn't say that spring is my favorite season, but it's definitely in the top four. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
9: When I met you in the springtime, my new summer, I'd fall. By the time the snow is flying, i have given you my all. For many seasons we were happy, as the crow's about to call. I've been banging on the window I've been hanging on the door You said you had to leave because You didn't love me anymore Broke my tender little heart What did you do that for? You're late, lady. late lady, lady. You're late, lady, late, late I never felt this way before But it's hard to tell you're losing when it seems you're bound to win. You acted so much like you love me. I would've given you the part, but the curtain all but fell deep before the show could even start. So I've been climbing the wall, I've been walking the floor, I've been banging on the window, I've been hanging on the door. You said you had to leave because you didn't love me anymore. A tender little heart What did you do that for? Your lady 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 Your lady only sound I've never been so lonesome my heart is calling out to you now that you've had some time dear I hope you're longing for me too cause I've been climbing the wall I've been walking the floor I've been banging on the window I have been hanging on the door you said you had to leave because you didn't love me anymore My tender little heart, what did you do that for? One more time. You're a lady, lady, lady. You're lady, lady, little lady. Climbing the walls, walking the floor, banging on the window, hanging on the door. You said you had to leave.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Episode 74 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m.
2: The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone.
0: This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig,
2: Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray,
0: and Dave Seestrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening
3: to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana.
4: Celebrating the arts culture, and nature that make this such a unique community.
5: Visit us online at browncountyhour.com.
4: The Brown
3: County Hour is a production of WFHB.
2: Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back,
8: back to my home, Brown County home.